Welcome to the GBC Sermon Podcast, a weekly podcast from Gaimia Baptist Church in Sydney, Australia. I'm Mark Rader, Senior Pastor here at GBC, and I pray that you'll hear the invitation of God to join in His mission in this message. This week, we continue our theme for 2022, Renovation, Rebuilding for Purpose, and our study of Nehemiah. In this week's text, Nehemiah puts his bold plan into action as he makes his requests of the king. This interaction highlights a familiar tension for many followers of Jesus, the tension between our desire to trust and rely on God's leading and the desire to do what God is asking us to do. The Bible reading this morning comes from Nehemiah. Uh, it's a book about halfway through the Old Testament, a couple, um, couple of books before Psalms. Nehemiah, I'm starting at chapter 2 in the first verse. In the 20th month, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was bought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when my city, the city where my ancestors are buried, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favour in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah, where my ancestors are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Then the king said, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? And may I have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the royal park, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadels by the temple and for the city walls and for the residence I will occupy? And... Because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and I gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Well, good morning. Good to have you with us this morning, uh, albeit masked up in the building, and nice to see you online. I had a bit of a look beforehand, uh, see the chat and who was there, and it said hello, so thank you for doing that. Uh, we're continuing our series uh, that is uh, launching our theme for the year, Renovation, Rebuilding for Purpose, uh, and looking at the book of Nehemiah. Uh, and in today's uh, passage, we're looking at uh, Nehemiah's request, of course, to the king. Uh, and can I just remind you that we don't really Uh, often appreciate how well told these stories truly are. Uh, Have you ever wanted to uh, watch a movie again for the first time? 
or read a book again for the first time not knowing how it ends. Like, I'd love to watch the Shawshank Redemption again without knowing how it ended. I'd like to read the Harry Potter novels again without knowing how they ended, like, because they surprised me along the way. And because we know how the story ends, we kind of, we miss some of the drama. So we know that Nehemiah goes on to build the wall, and so we don't think too much of it. But at the end of chapter one, we really had no idea what Nehemiah was up to, right? All we know is he's heard this report about the city of Jerusalem. He's the cupbearer to the king, and he has decided to pray about it, and now he's going to go see the king. And at the end of chapter one, we have no idea what he's going to do. And so we should be kind of reading along going, I wonder what his scheme is. I wonder what his plan is. And it's actually there that I want to spend some time reflecting this morning. Because one of the key themes throughout the book of Nehemiah, and we find it time after time after time, is the interaction between his reliance upon God and his activity for God. There's, a, there's an interplay between them, but, but it's a little bit different than what we often find in other parts of Scripture. See, in other parts of Scripture, we have a very clear hinge. There is the reliance upon God in the face of a particular situation or need or whatever the case might be. God speaks, right? So there's a prophetic word, there's an angel, there's a dream, there's a vision, there's insight from the Spirit, and then they act in accordance to what God has said. But what we find in Nehemiah is that, that that kind of that hinge is removed. So we know that Nehemiah relies on God. He's just spent four months praying. Between the month of, months of Kislev in kind of uh, November, December to the month of Nisan in March, April. He spent four months praying. He is reliant upon God. In the midst of his conversation with the king, he has that little, I've heard them refer to as arrow prayers, just a quick shot to heaven, right? The king says, what do you want? He says, so I prayed. Well, I'm pretty sure he didn't say, can you just give me 10 minutes? Or can I come back to you another four months? No, it's kind of one of those, oh, Lord, help me. And off he goes. He's reliant upon God, and he recognizes the hand of God, doesn't he? Because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, these things took place. He's reliant upon God, but there is all sorts of evidence that he has also made some decisions, hasn't he? I mean, did you notice the, the kind of the, the way in which Nehemiah has decided on his actions? So he's reliant upon God, but he's acting on behalf of God. He's acting on behalf of God, but we're not given any clear indication that his actions have been inspired in a really clear way by God. Does anyone else ever feel this tension? We're reliant upon God, or at least we're trying to be, right? And so we, we, we believe that God has a plan and a purpose. We believe that God is active in, the, in our lives, in the lives of our families, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. We believe that God is active. We want to rely upon him because he has a plan, a purpose, because he is good, because all of that stuff. And then we act in a particular way. And if someone were to really push us and say, how do you know that that's what God wants you to do? We would be forced to say... I'm not entirely sure. Did you have a vision? Uh, no. Did an angel show up at the end of your bed and tell you what to do? Uh, no. A prophet, surely a prophet spoke to you and said this, this is what you were, no. We just kind of felt this prompting, this urging. Do you, do you feel the tension? And this is played out all the way through Nehemiah. He is reliant upon God and he's just doing stuff. 
Because it's in the Bible, we assume that God was all happy with all of that, right? But here's part of the tension. And there's something quite intriguing in it because Nehemiah, as I said, it's very clear that he has done more than just pray. He has done more than just pray for four months, right? Because he has chosen the day that he is going to speak to the king, right? In his prayer in chapter one, he says, give me favor with this man today. Now, I don't know exactly why he chose that day. Um, It may have been that there was a royal celebration of some sort when kings would give gifts uh, and boons to those who were in service to them or whatever the case might be. But he's chosen a day. He's going, this is the day. Grant me favor with the king today. And then he has deliberately been sad in the presence of the king, which has a lot more to do with social convention than it does to do with Nehemiah's normally optimistic, bubbly personality, right? Social convention said that when you were in the presence of the king, who was the son of the gods, affirmed by the gods, assigned by the gods to, 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 to lead the people, to enact the wills of, 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 of the gods, I mean, it's just inappropriate to be sad in his presence, right? In the book of Esther, uh, uh, sorry, Mordecai has torn his clothes and, and uh, is mourning for the disaster that is about to fall on the people and Esther sends him clothes so that he can actually enter into the palace because it was inappropriate to look disheveled in the presence of the king. And these conventions continue, don't they? Just a couple of weeks ago, young Grace Tam didn't smile when she was with the prime minister. Oh dear. And whether or not she should have or shouldn't have is not really the point. The point is there is still that social convention today. How much more so when it's not just some bloke named Scomo that nobody assumes is the son of the gods, right? But the social convention remains. And so Nehemiah has chosen a day and he has provoked the king to ask the question, why are you sad? And when the king has asked, what do you want? Nehemiah's got answers, right? It's not like the king says, well, what do you want? And Nehemiah's like, I don't know. I didn't expect to get this far. (laughs) Uh, Can I come back to you? No. He's like, this is how much time I'm going to be away. And this is what I want to do. And we learn from the way that the, the story is told that he actually is asking to be made governor. I want to be made governor. And I want you to give me the authority to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. That's what I would like. Thank you very much. And like the end bit, I love that part. What do you need? Oh, well, listen, I also need safe conduct letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates. I also need access to the royal timber yards because if we're going to build something, we want to build it right, particularly because if it's going to be in your name. And I also need to make sure that I'd like an armed escort. Thank you very much. The boys thought it through. So it's not as if he just prayed. It's not as if he just kind of prayed for four months and then kind of hoped that stuff would happen. At some point in this journey, he has decided that he is going to select this day. He is going to provoke the question by being sad in the king's presence. And when and if the king actually grants him what he says, he's got a long list of what he needs in order to pull this off. Reliance on God and acting on God's behalf. It's all kind of played out for us. The question is then, what do we do? How do we apply this to our own lives? How do we apply this to our lives? I mean, because for Nehemiah, we know the end of the story, right? We know the end of the story. We know that God acted on his behalf. 
We, we know it. It's very, very clear. Again, if I can remind you of the power of Hebrew storytelling. Did you notice that, that Nehemiah is very much afraid? He's very much afraid when the king says, why are you sad? And then if, but if you read the conversation, you think, why were you so afraid? The king sounds like a lovely bloke. He's got high EQ, like he reads the room, right? How good of the king to notice? He goes, oh, you're sad and you're not sick. This must be a sickness of the heart. And he's lovely all the way through. What do you want? I'd like to go rebuild the city that recently you tore down because of its long history of rebellion and sedition. Oh, yeah, well, no, that'd be fine. What do you need? Oh, I need, you need royal timbers? You want to be the governor? Yeah, sure, that's fine. Great. And we think, Nehemiah, what were you freaked out about? That's not the right answer. The, the, the right response. The right response ought to be, wow, did God ever change the king's heart? <laughs> wow, check that out. The same guy who just a couple of years early tore down the walls of Jerusalem has had a complete reversal of heart. He's lovely. So lovely that we're suspicious that God was at work. Sometimes we look for the evidence of God's hand in order to figure out whether we are acting in the way in which we feel God is calling us to act. It's kind of a retrospective way of trying to figure out whether what we're doing is what God's calling us to do. Anyone else played that? A door opens and so we kind of take a step through it and we kind of see what happens. And another door opens and we take a step through it. And if doors keep opening, we kind of go, well, God must be in this. Or if we step through some, a door or an opportunity arises and something good comes up, we think, oh, God must be in this. And that's not an entirely bad way for us to discern what it is that we're called to. But I don't know about you, but there are times when I would like to have a little bit more, I don't know, certainty that what I was walking into was actually what God was calling me into, rather than just my best guess or something that I ate, right? So what is it about Nehemiah here? We talked about this briefly last week, that Nehemiah's heart was moved and stirred by God. His reaction to the destruction of the walls of Jerusalem is, is such a strong one that I think it's reasonable for us to assume that God was behind the stirring of his heart. And that a stirred heart, a, God, a heart stirred by God is a heart that is then moved to prayer. And for four months he prays and he prays and he prays. And a heart that has been stirred by God and has been moved to prayer is in a heart that is open to hear the invitation of God. Because to be honest, a, a, a cupbearer does not kind of, like, the career path is not cupbearer, governor. Right? Like that's not the normal process. Like that is moving into a completely different field. What are your strengths? Oh man, I can hand around the canapes like nobody else. You want me to test for poison? I'm your man. You know much about leadership? Mm, no, no I don't. It's not a type of cheese, is it? <laughs> this is a kind of a big invitation. This is a, a kind of a big move. So what do we learn about here? I actually think there's a couple of proverbs that might be helpful for us to kind of bring in to help us think a bit about this. And not biblical proverbs, but ones that you have no doubt heard. So on the one hand, you have the proverb, God helps those who help themselves. Heard that one before? Right? 
Uh, it's, a, it's a long-lived proverb. It goes back to the Greek writers of Sophocles and Ovid, apparently. Aesop's fables have a couple of examples in them. It's retold in various forms. But it's the simple idea that <clears throat> instead of just kind of standing and relying upon God and just kind of waiting for God to do something, we should just get on with it. Just kind of start doing something. Uh, do something, be involved, get active, because God's going to help those who help themselves. Now, like all good Proverbs, Proverbs are true sometimes and not true at other times, right? That's the beauty of Proverbs. So you got to know when to apply the proverb. So for instance, the proverb that God's, God helps those who help themselves cannot really be applied to salvation, Right? You just work a little bit harder and God will step in and help. Oh, no, 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 that's not how salvation works. But there are times and places, aren't there, when we know the truth of that proverb? Where there's an invitation before us because there's a need before us? And we think, well, there's a need. It aligns broadly with what God's on about, so I'm just going to step into it. I'm just going to get into it. Is God going to be that disappointed if I help and serve somebody else? Probably not. And so we begin and we hope that God will come alongside us. But there's another problem that I think also might be helpful for us to consider, and that's one associated with William Carey, one of the great uh, Protestant missionaries and also a Baptist, so we should probably kind of take that moment to reflect on that, right? Uh, but where he says that we ought to expect great things from God and attempt great things for God kind of follows the same kind of path, doesn't it? That we ought to expect great things from God. Therefore, we ought to be those who are attempting great things for God. And again, the emphasis is a little bit on what we are attempting. But in both instances, whether we talk about the proverb of God helping those who help themselves, or we talk about the proverb, again, not, neither of which are biblical in the sense of found in Scripture, or that we should expect great things from God and attempt great things for God, in both instances, I think there's something really quite significant in that. And that is that they are brought together by an emphasis on God's character and upon his purposes. So, let me use a, some hyperbole for the sake of making a point. If you decide to attempt to rob a bank in order that you might be able to give the money to charity, I'm not sure that God's going to help you with that. Nor should I think you ought to expect him to help you with that. I wouldn't want to visit you in prison and to have you say, well, I don't know, I expected great things from God and he just didn't come through. <laughs> they caught me, I don't know what happened. You follow me on this. If we are going to expect great things from God and attempt great things for him, if we are going to, shall we say, assume that God will help those who help themselves, I think the issue for us is that we want to be focused on his character and his purposes. Because if we don't start with his character and his purposes, then the temptation is for us to start with our plans and our actions. And then that proverb just becomes a justification for me to start with my idea about what I think ought to happen, pray that God will bless my idea, and then get on with my idea. Which whatever else you might say about Nehemiah is not quite how this happens. There's a reliance upon God, which begins. This is where it begins. It's where it starts. 
And then there's action, and the hinge between those is the plans and the purposes and the character of God. And so for us, if we want to rely on God and begin to work through what it means for us to be at the activity of God, I think we need to be always returning to the character of God, always returning to the purposes of God, to the plans of God, to make sure that the plans that we come up with don't run away with us. Because while we can talk about it as wonderful, neat little stages, we all know it's super messy, isn't it? Our heart is stirred by something, so we begin to pray about it. And then as we're praying about it, our imagination is sparked by some idea that kind of gets us thinking about how we could actually make a difference in that circumstance or that situation or that relationship. And we start praying about those plans to see if those are God's. And it just kind of begins to get really, really messy, doesn't it? But Nehemiah provides us, I think, with an example of someone who has placed his plans in the right part of the conversation. That is, after he has prayed and after he has reflected on God's purposes. That it's God's purposes, it's God's plans, it's God's character where we need to begin. The ways in which he has spoken to us, the ways in which he has led us, the ways in which he has invited us, the things that have happened in the past in order that we might bring those matters to prayer in order that the plans that we come up with without any prophetic word or angelic visitation or vision or in particularly a profound insight, we know that they will be connected to the things that God is concerned with. And this is as important, as, as important for us as individuals as it is for us as a community of faith. Matt mentioned it already. You would have received, if you are in our database and we have your correct email address, the long read. So named because it turned out to be 12 pages long. I know that's not the longest read. I'll save that for another day. But it's a long read. If we don't have your correct details, that document is found on our website. There is a link to it in the e-news. It's on GBC Links. You can make a, an account so you can access GBC Links or you can log in and make sure your email is up to date, which would be helpful for when I send you the longest read whenever that might come out. In this long read, there are three projects that I wanted to kind of share with you that we are undertaking as a community of faith in relationship to renovation, rebuilding for purpose. Matt mentioned that there's an update on where we stand financially. There's another proposal wrapped around what it means for membership and partnership here at GBC. But the first and the longest part of that long read has to do with something I alluded to briefly last week, which is a process of discernment that we want to engage in as a community of faith over the course of 2022. On the surface, organizationally speaking, what we're hoping to achieve out of that is that we will have, shall we say, a five-year plan for the next five years. Uh, but theologically, we want to talk about that not so much from a, a corporate perspective as a five-year plan, but as the invitation of where we believe God is leading us as a community of faith. And while in many instances we delegate authority to make decisions to a smaller group of people, whether that be the staff or the CLT or elders and other groups within that space. In this case, we want to include everyone in that process because we believe that everyone has been given the Holy Spirit and that you are all part of God's purposes and plans here as well. 
And so I've outlined in that kind of the why and the process itself and a little bit of background about where God has invited us as a community of faith in the past to be involved in how we've responded and how we frame up our vision and mission and purpose. And also given you a bit of a task to start praying. A few areas for us as a community of faith to begin to pray between now and our, our members meeting at the end of March at which point we will launch into stage two of that. And the whole process that, that, that I'm hoping that we will achieve is not only that we might have a five-year strategic plan, but that we together might discern the voice of God. And I think it's incredibly important for us to start by focusing on God's character and on his purposes and plans for us as a community of faith. Because if you asked me to come up with a five-year plan for the community by next week, I could do that. There's lots of opportunities out there. I've got lots of ideas. I've talked to lots of people here who've got lots of ideas. Like coming up with a five-year plan ain't the hard part, is it? The hard part is stopping long enough so that our plans don't run away with us. And instead, allowing the voice of God to speak. So if you have not yet read or tracked down the long read, do it. I'd really like you to do it. It's one of the ways that I want to invite you into the process of what we are trying to do as a community of faith. Because ultimately, this isn't my church. You can tell by the sign on the front. It says, guy me and not Mark. It's not even your church. It's God's church. It's Jesus' church. And I want us to be a community of faith who are about the work that Jesus wants us to be about. I can come up with a plan, but I really want to hear the invitation of God in it first. And this is why Nehemiah has been so profound for me already. A chapter and a half in, Someone who is seeking to focus on the plans and purposes of God, to be reliant upon God, but then also to act. And I want us to act. When we, when, when we finally, finally uh, figure out what it is that God's inviting us into, I want to act on that. I want to get at it. But for now, we need to listen and focus on God's purposes for us as a people of God. So there's your application. It's as concrete as it gets read a 12-page document and start praying about it. So can I pray for us as we wrap up our service? Heavenly Father, thank you for, uh, thank you that you are at work. Thank you that you are doing things in the world. And I want to pray that you would um, help us, I guess, get our priorities right. Sometimes we, we assume that you are writing the story of our lives for us, and, and yet I think it's perhaps more accurate to say that you are willing to write us into your story, to give us a part in your plans and purposes, and that is such a different scenario. I pray that for each one of us as individuals and as a community of faith that we might be open to hear from you that we might turn our hearts to reflect upon your character, your plans and purposes, both broadly and generally, but also specifically here as a community of faith, and that over the next several months, you might lead and guide us so that we might truly hear your voice, that it might unite us together and might give to us a blueprint for what you're calling us to. 
And as Nehemiah was open to your purposes, as he began to plan, as he began to look for your hand, your gracious hand at work, I pray that you may make that clear for us as well. So as we embark on this process at the start of the year, I ask that you would bless it and that we might indeed be about the work of renovation, rebuilding for purpose. We pray this in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. I'm excited about where we're heading as a community of faith. I think this year has a lot uh, to look forward to. It's also fairly daunting, uh, but I think that's no reason not to get at it as well. It is clear that Nehemiah relies on God, and it is equally clear that he is confident that what he is doing is aligned with God's plans. We can learn from Nehemiah's experience and begin with a focus on God's character and purpose. As we make this our first port of call and our constant touch point, we are better placed to align our plans with God's, allowing His invitation to lead and guide us. With this series, we have returned to our practice of releasing a weekly discipleship menu for each sermon. These menus are a selection of activities meant to continue the conversation started by this sermon throughout the week. You can download the menus on our website under the Next Steps tab. These menus can be used by yourself, with a couple of people, or in a life group. And another way to engage in the conversation is to join us for The Big Three, a weekly podcast where Matt, Jess, and I sit down and discuss three big questions raised by this sermon, questions submitted by the congregation. You can find The Big Three wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. If you'd like to join us for one of our Sunday services, you can do so by logging on to www.gbconline.org.au at 9.30 Australian Eastern Standard each Sunday. Until then, God bless.